Good morning, everyone. I just want to make sure my slides are on. Without my slides, I cannot function. I just want to thank you so much for all the years that you stood by us and with us at uh, Arabic Bible Outreach Ministry. Those of you who do not know us, the ministry was born in this church years back, more than 25 years. It started as a small Bible study, outreaching the Arabic-speaking people in the Lawrence area. We are originally from Lebanon, my wife and I, and the Lord called us to serve him, to bring the gospel to our people, those who speak the Arabic language. The ministry evolved through time when the internet was born, and some of you know that we do a lot of our ministry through the electronic platform, through social media, through websites, through apps, and through the years, the Lord blessed the ministry. We grew, and now we have a team of 11 or 12 people beside the volunteers who are laboring um, through uh, the ministry of Arabic Bible Outreach Ministry. Through the last few years, we saw a kind of, I don't want to say a change, more so that the work of the Internet is translating more to ground-based work. We're seeing ourselves involved more on the ground by supporting church plants. After years of planting seeds and watering seeds, the gospel, in the Arab world, we're seeing churches, young churches, being planted by nationals from different Arab countries, and we're seeing young leaders rising up to the challenge of leading and shepherding the believers. And so the Lord led us to, uh, in a sense, to stand and support these young churches in the Arab world, and we're doing it, as I will present to you through three phases, discipleship, number one, helping and providing the tools to disciple, to teach, to encourage members and fellow believers. Secondly, to provide the Word of God. The Word of God is not uh, widely available like we have it in this country, so the Lord opened a door for us to provide Bibles. And thirdly is through supporting church plans. This is just a, a, a really a summary of the discipleship ministry that we've been involved for the last few years. Basically, we don't do the work of discipling. We simply support churches. We encourage uh, someone from local churches to take upon himself to coordinate this discipleship ministry. And we give him all the tools, the trainings, the books. And he, in turn, would coordinate with members of his church to go through this curriculum. And so through the last two or three years, we've seen a number of people who finished the curriculum, and we're very thankful to see this number of churches in Lebanon and Sudan and Syria are involved and, and, and active in this discipleship program. This is pictures of those coordinators from different churches who come for training, and then we supply them with the books, these uh, now the training is now you see it in fruition by seeing leaders conducting Bible study and discipleship class. Uh, you'll see in these pictures mostly are fellow Muslims, people who follow the religion of Islam. Now they're turning to Christ. We have not seen such a miracle in years to see Muslims among us uh, worshiping with us. 
my wife was blessed this last trip we went to Lebanon we went to a remote place in Lebanon where they were ministering to uh, refugees and and she couldn't believe that these refugees these ladies and children were worshiping and praising Jesus Christ and quoting verses and so this is this is what excites us this is what keeps us going this is what keeps us laboring for his name's sake in parallel to that we conduct um, focus training for a couple of days on different to- Bible topics. Bible distribution, by the way, our Bibles open from right to left. This is the heavenly way. You guys have it the wrong way. So we read from Arabic to left, Arabic to, uh, to left, from right to, to left. Uh, we have th- several sizes and we produce them in China. We bring them to Lebanon and from Lebanon we fan them out to different Arab countries. We're very thankful how the Lord provided the finances to print these Bibles and to supply them freely to churches. We uh, de- desire that these Bibles be given to believers. And then we give New Testaments to supplement churches in outreaching their communities. So New Testaments are more for evangelism. Bibles are for believers to study the word of God. You probably heard that we got involved in Sudan. The country of Sudan was under radical Islamic rule for more than 30 years. In 2019 or 20, it opened up. The country adopted democratic reforms. Uh, Somehow the Lord led us to talk to some church leaders and pastors and through discussions with them, they they expressed a desire to have Bibles. They don't have Bibles. They do, but very small amount. So by God's grace, we brought the first batch back in 2021, 10,000, and they were gone within a few months. Then by God's grace, we were able to print 40,000 and brought them to Sudan this last October. They arrived in November 15th, 2022. <clears throat> we also noticed there was a huge hunger in Sudan. The church for 30 years was robbed to from all the biblical tools and doctrinal books so we saw a huge hunger to learn the truth and just from doing a small conference among pastors and leaders we realized how much they need really to understand the scriptures so we took it upon ourselves to establish a center to bring discipleship books and bring bibles and we started with a, this small conference as a kickoff back in uh, last October. And uh, we have uh, a, a brother. He's, he's one of the pictures in the blue T-shirt. His name is Abdurrahim, the bond servant of the merciful one, a brother who loved the Lord. He's the one who coordinated with us, and he's leading that discipleship school. Everything was going well until... Uh, This is a picture of all of us. Enjoy these precious brethren. Love their joy for the Lord, even against much hardship. This is a picture we took of one of the largest evangelical church that we visited in Khartoum, the capital of Sudan. Now, I want you to pay attention to that blue awning, the blue tent. This picture was taken October 2022. I was there in person. And this picture was taken April 15, right after the civil war, right after the country descended in a civil war. Here you see the pastor on a, on a film clip crying out, asking for help and prayer. His church is 
was burning. And so there was some deliberate violence against churches in Khartoum when the civil war started. Now Khartoum and surroundings is in total civil war. I don't know why April is a bad month for civil war. I remember April 13 is when the civil war started in Lebanon back in 1975. I was a kid. I do remember it vividly because I was there when it started. Now April 15, the civil war started in Sudan. And so now all work stopped. And remember, we had 40,000 Bibles in storage out of them. 8,000 were distributed by April 15. So there were 32,000 left and in, in the middle of a combat zone. By God's grace, they were safe. We were able to rescue half of them. We're uh, planning to rescue the other half. We need your prayer because that's a challenge to go back into Khartoum and pull them out. I can't describe the challenges to pull them out. Uh, we do support churches in Turkey among uh, Syrian refugees. In fact, I, as we were worshiping, I received pictures of uh, these churches. Uh, our brother George, who is leading our discipleship ministry in Lebanon, is visiting them. This is a church we work, Brother Bashar. He's the guy with the blue mask. We're very thankful for them. We've been working with them for the last five years. Uh, the Lord has also gave us an opportunity to work in a church plant in the very uh, su south of Lebanon, right on the border with Israel. Uh, this is a church that lost its pastor. So members of our team are taking turns to filling in the pulpit. And we, not too far from this church plant, we started an outreach to a huge uh, village where there are nominal Christians from Catholic background. It's one of the largest villages in Lebanon. They're totally Catholic. And somehow the Lord opened this opportunity to outreach, to start this Bible study. And you can see this is how churches starts in the Middle East. Have someone open their home, invite their friends, invite their loved ones, and then uh, Bible study. All what you need is a core group, and then a church is planted. Another brother in our team is working. He's full-time in this uh, outreach center in Lebanon. This is a center deep in southern part of Sidon, the biblical Sidon, uh, excuse me, in the eastern part of Sidon. And the uh, goal of this is to establish relationship and bridge and friendship bridges with the communities and be able to present the gospel. There's a whole strip in Lebanon where there are no churches. And this center was established too with a goal of planting, of evangelizing, and uh, be able to see churches pla planted in that area. This is another part where just last week we started uh, outreaching and we're very thankful for a brother who has a heart for the gospel open his home. This is another opportunity that we're working in Tyre, the biblical city of Tyre. Lebanon is well known in the Bible. Uh, Tyre boasts of two camps uh, full of Syrian refugees and we're ministering in both refugees for, to the children. Of course, when you have children, the parents sit and watch. This is something that we're praying that through outreaching children that the parents will be drawn to the gospel. So you can see that we're very busy 
uh, uh, now on the ground. Oh, by the way, we, we had GDM ministry that came last uh, two weeks ago to, uh, to, to where our team is and four members of our team were working with GDM members to do the medical outreach and we're very thankful 200 people came to that clinic in five days. Very thankful for the faithfulness of the GDM ministry. So it's finally we see ABOM and GM work together after a year of planning and it's good to see the fruit taking place in Lebanon. Where we're going is to establish similar centers in different Arab countries. We're able to do it in Lebanon and Sudan, although Sudan is on hold. Now we're working uh, uh, diligently to establish one in Syria. Syria, there's some challenges with the government. As you know, Syria is also experiencing civil war. There are more paperwork to do, but hopefully once we get all the permission to bring Bibles in, we believe we have the right uh, two brothers who can uh, coordinate the discipleship and the Bible distribution. And we have a heart to also establish the same thing in Iraq. So this is what God has been doing through ABOM. Very thankful for uh, Grace Bible Church, for you standing by us in prayer. Not only in prayer, but also financial support through all the years. Uh, We covet your prayer as we continue to fulfill our Lord's commission to go ye to the whole world. Our mission field is the Arab world to make disciples and and to uh, establish churches. Amen? If you have your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. I don't know, are we allowed to ask questions? Oh yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, would the adults leave? Please? No, I'm just kidding. The, <laughs> the children four to six years old leave uh, for their uh, junior church. I miss those days. Hebrews chapter 11, we'll be looking at two characters. In verse 23, before we look at that verse, just a a bit of background on the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is one of the deepest uh, books in the Bible, very deep in the doctrine. It was written for believers who are from a Jewish background. They were going through a lot. They were going through persecution, other things such as pressure by the Jewish leaders to reconform to the Mosaic laws. So the Holy Spirit leaves us this book and there's a lot to learn from it. The primary chapter that we're probably familiar with is chapter 11. It talks about the heroes of faith. It talks about the hall of fame or hall of faith of the heroes of faith. And so we have in verse 23 two individuals that we be looking at very shortly. And I pray that we can draw insight and we can draw guidance from these two individuals whom the scriptures did not name. But before we open up to that chapter, if we go back to a few verses in in chapter 10, verse 38, it gives us the background, the context to 
what's going on. Why the Holy Spirit brought the subject faith. In verse 38 it says, Now the just, this is chapter 10, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back. And here we have a, a very hard topic that uh, the scriptures tackled for us. A topic has to do with apostasy. These are individuals, according to the scriptures, it says, who have tasted the heavenly gift. These are individuals who were enlightened. These are individuals who understood the gift of God, who understood what God has done. So great salvation that he so richly poured for us in Christ Jesus. And yet they deliberately and willingly turned their back against this truth. And so in verse 38 it says, The just shall live by faith. This is the hallmark of Christianity. This is what we have to do when we talk to Muslims and other followers of man-made religion that uh, what differentiate Christianity from all man-made religion is that we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 6 of chapter 11 Kind of expand on that. It says, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. So Christianity, in order to believe and trust God, you have to do it by faith. You cannot earn your salvation or earn his favor by doing works. And it continues in verse 6 of chapter 11. says, For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So it defines what faith is. The just shall walk by faith. And verse 1 of chapter 11 has it all. That's the definition. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, and evidence of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of future expectation, as well as its assurance of present realities. So as the author of this book, whom we do not know, was talking and, and kind of engaging these believers, these Jewish believers who were going through a lot, he named for them individuals. He, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chronologically select individuals from the Old Testament to prove to them they walked by faith, not by sight. And we have this hall of faith, hall of fame of heroes of faith. And then go through chapter 11, and then at the, at the beginning of chapter 12, we, are, we have the so cloud of witnesses. It says in verse 1. Therefore, in chapter 12, we also, since we are surrounded by these individuals, by these saints of the Old Testament and others, we will look at them. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and with a sin which so easily ensnares we have a cloud of witnesses that we can learn from they are our example they are our an illustration of what living of uh, living by faith is all about 
We have individuals who have, their lifestyle of faith have always been the standard. And we can learn a lot from them. By the way, that verse in chapter 12, verse 1, is misinterpreted, especially by traditional Christian, Christian churches. Those are not witnesses who are from heaven looking at you, at us, at Christians. That's not the case. Those not, are not spectators. We're not spectators to them. In fact, those who are with the Lord currently beholding God's glory, they can't in their heavenly nature understand what's going on now on this earth. Read Luke chapter 16. These are witnesses. They are our witnesses. They are our proof. They are our example. How to live by faith. And so, as I mentioned, the scriptures chronologically go through the saints of the Old Testament, starting from the pre-primeval period, where it named Abel. Abel who offered a sacrifice by faith. And then goes to Enoch who walked with God by faith. And Noah who did a great work by faith, building the ark. And then jumps to a different period where it draws on Abraham, the father of faith, and his wife Sarah, son Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. And then we come in verse, this is from verse 8 to verse 22 in chapter 11. In verse 23, this is where we'll dwell this morning. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. My parents had the same problem with me when I was born. And they were not afraid of the king's command. So we have Moses' parents and Moses in this period called the Exodus period from verse 23 to verse 29. And then we have Joshua and Rahab mentioned in verse 30 to verse 31. This is what we call the conquest period. And finally, as if the Holy Spirit ran out of time, check with me in verse 32. It says, and what more, verse 32 of chapter 11, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell. And it goes on to name Gideon, Barak, that's not Barack Obama, by the way. And Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets. These are the saints of the Old Testament whose life, life of faith was a standard. And they left us great example. Great insight. They are so cloud, they are so a great of Greater, so great a cloud of witnesses for us. So we turn to these two individuals, the parents of Moses. And in order to understand what took place, why the scripture named them as heroes of faith, perhaps if we go back to Exodus, Exodus uh, chapter chapter 2 we can also understand what what took place and why what work they did or how they lived by faith in order uh, in order to uh, see or 
the results of their lives, their faith was listed in the scripture. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 2, please. Exodus chapter 2. And uh, in, in verse 1, before we go to verse 1 of chapter 2, chapter 1 kind of give us a, also a background what took place. There was a king of Egypt who rose up. It says he did, not, he did not recognize Joseph nor the people of Israel nor the people of God. And they, he feared them because they were many. And he, uh, it says, in, he, 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 he feared them so much that he wanted to inflict them, wanted to kind of minimize their risk, so to speak. So in verse 12 of chapter 1, it says, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, they meaning the people of God, and the more they grew, and they were dread of the children of Israel. So that did not work, so the king of Egypt uh, resorted to another measure by asking two midwives uh, to, those are midwives who attend to pregnant women as they deliver the babies, they help them deliver the babies. So he asked them in verse, uh, 16 he said when you do the duties of a midwife of the Hebrew women see them on the birth stools if it is a son then you shall kill him but if it is a daughter then she shall live however that in verse 17 we know that the midwives fear God and they did not do it and then chapter 2 this we have a, a the Spirit just shed some light on this couple. It says in verse 1, And a man of a house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful. Second time we see the word beautiful, and we will revisit this word. This is very important. He was a beautiful child. She hid him three months. And then we know the story, what happened afterwards. We don't have the time to dwell on the details. She, they hid them as much as they can, but we know that they had them for three months before they let them go. We have a parallel passage in Acts 17. We won't have, uh, we won't have Acts 7, excuse me. We won't have the time to turn there, but I'll read it for you. And it, it, it also rephrased exactly what took place in Hebrews and in Exodus. It says, at this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, was beautiful, was favored, was proper. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter, daughter took him away and brought him up as her own. As her own as her own son. So we know that the parents had him for three months. And then by faith, they let him go. By faith, they put him in a basket. By faith, they send him on the, on the Niles River. And by faith, they trusted God for the outcome. And we know what happened. Pharaoh's daughter saw him and she took him as her own son. So number one, we see in their work, strong faith. 
In James 2.18 says, show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. Their works proved, their works showed deep faith in God. By going through all these measures to protect their child, to raise their child for three months, this is against all odds. Imagine governmental authorities are after your child. And the law says that if he's a son, if he's a boy, he shall, he shall be killed. Imagine the pressure of you, the parents, raising up a baby boy, hiding him for three months against all these risks and dangers. And yet, by faith, they did it. Their works proved, showed deep faith. And also, in verse, uh, <clears throat> in verse 23, we see something else concerning their, their, their faith. We see that their faith eliminated fear and trusted God. They trusted God and they did not fear men. They did not fear the king. They did not fear what the law says. They acted by faith to save their child's life. And guess what? If we read, keep reading a few verses after, we see Moses followed in their footsteps. In verse 27, it says, By faith, this is Moses, he forsook Egypt, not fearing, same thing, the wrath of the king. The parents had Moses for three months. During these three months, they, they left a great impression on, on him. Even though he was only three months, believe me, your kids, I don't care how young they are, they're very smart. They're watching you. You are the cloud of witnesses to them for the longest time. You are the example of Christian faith. I remember years back, most of you know my oldest son, Nicholas. He was a year and a half sitting in the back seat. We were driving, and he was sitting in the back seat, and child seat, and, and my wife and I were arguing. We were at it. I know you guys don't do that. <laughs> and then, you know, our voice, we were getting emotional. Or, or rising, we're raising our voices, and, and then we hear... Nicholas saying, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I told, I asked my wife, what is, what is he saying? She says, I don't know. So we continued our uh, friendly conversation. And he kept crying out from the back, blah, 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 blah. And finally my wife caught up to him. She says, you know what he's saying? He says, what? She's saying he's, in Lebanese, we have the word blah, means swallow it. Basically, she tells that's what she uses when he throws tantrum, when he acts bad, when he cries. She says, swallow it, snap out of it, stop it. And here's a kid, a year and a half, telling us what we so deserve. You think they're not smart? They're watching you. You are their example. You are the living example of what Christianity is all about. Three months, they left a great impression on Moses. Third thing that we see about the 
lives of Moses, uh, of the parents of Moses. By the way, although the scriptures do not name their, do not name them, we we know their names. If you continue studying Exodus, I'm not going to tell you what chapter you'll find their names. I'll leave that to you as a homework. It says their faith was evident in their trust in his word. This is because of this word, a beautiful child. Why did the Holy Spirit added a beautiful child? All our children are beautiful. No matter, no matter how ugly they are. They are beautiful to us. Do you hear that, Peter? No. <laughs> Why the Holy Spirit named them beautiful? Well, there's more to it, perhaps. And I'm not saying this is an interpretation. However, Bible scholars uh, do suggest the following, that the word beautiful here, which is true, we see it in Arabic as well, the Arabic language, which is close to the Hebrew, is the same word that God uses when he was doing the creation. It says at the end of each day, he will look at his creation and, and he would say it is good. It is proper. It is beautiful. The same word in Hebrew. And so the Bible scholars draw their conclusion that the parents of Moses knew the word of God, even though they didn't have the Torah, they didn't have what we have today. Based on two verses, turn with me to Genesis. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis <clears throat> chapter 15. By the way, if my English doesn't serve you, the slides should in the back of me should help you finding the two verses I'm going to read. Genesis 15 verse 13, we have a prophecy. Prophecy where God told Abraham exactly what was going to happen to his descendants. In verse 13, he said to Abraham, now certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them and here we have the prophecy, 400 years. And then in Exodus 12:40, it's in your in the slide. It says, "Now the sojourn of children of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years." So the speculation is the following: that perhaps the parents, knowing the strong back then they had oral traditions they didn't have uh, what we are today we have to we have well connected everything they memorize through stories they heard from their parents and great-grandparents and they memorize it and they remember it to the details and perhaps they heard about this prophecy that the descendants of Abraham will be strangers in the land and they will serve them for 400 years and perhaps they were following the timeline and by faith by faith they saw a plan by faith they saw that child is good maybe God is going to use this child for that purpose to fulfill that promise again I'm not saying it's an interpretation speculation of why that word beautiful is there 
the lesson here is that God has a plan for your child. Trust him. Entrust your child to him. Be involved in the life of your child. Surround him with good example. You and your wife surround him with the precious word of God. So now let's look at the Moses. We saw that in three months they had him. And now let's see what happened to Moses. Let's see the faithful action of Moses. If we look at <clears throat> verse 24, it says, By faith, now he's named as one of the heroes of faith. It says, By faith, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So, number one, he renounced social status. Remember, Moses was the son of the daughter of the king of Egypt. Moses had all the rights to be recognized. Moses had all the privileges to be the cool guy. Moses had the status of a great man. In fact, in Acts, in Acts chapter 7, if you go back to it, it says that he was educated by the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in words and deeds. He was highly educated, had a high position. But yet we see that Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. We have a counterexample to that. We have two parents, because of their lifestyle, left a mess for us in the scriptures. And the Lord Jesus Christ used them as a warning, at least uses his wife. And I'm referring to whom? To Lot. It says, Lot, when the angels came, and I, we don't have the time to go through the scriptures, but read it in Genesis chapter 19. It says, when the two angels came to warn Lot about the imminent judgment, Lot was sitting at the gates of the city. This shows position. This is how the old, in the old times, if you are high up in the leadership of the city, you sit at the gate of the city. This is why the Lord Jesus Christ says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail, meaning the highest, all the power of hell shall not prevail against my church. And so here we have Lot, whom the scripture, read it in 2 Peter. It says he was torturing his soul because of the conduct of this filthy city. That city was... Uh, practicing fornication as a life's lifestyle nothing different than what we see today it says that Lot oppressed his soul by the bad conduct of the city and yet he when he came to warn his daughters and perhaps it says the sons his sons of his sons-in-law 
it says he was to them as a joker. You see, his, his example was, did not reflect his faith. He was telling them let's about the judgment of God. He warned them of the judgment of God, but yet he came across to them as a joker. Not only Lot was a bad example, the Lord used his wife. It says, remember Lot's wife. What did she do? You know, the angels had to pull Lot, and he had to hold the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters to pull him out of Sodom. She looked back. You see, even though she left Sodom, her heart was still full of that lifestyle. This is what many Christians, unfortunately, fall under. Uh, the pressure of this world, conforming to this world, fearing what the world will say about them. And slowly but surely, they just conform. They just try to please people around them. And this is what happened to Lot and his wife. And look at the mess they left. Look what happened afterwards with the two daughters and Lot. Moses renounced social status. Moses renounced any recognition. And then we turn to verse 25. It says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So secondly, he renounced sinful pleasures. Again, Moses had all access to all kind of pleasures. I mean, he was so high up, he can enjoy money, he can enjoy riches, he can enjoy the lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and pride of life. Yet, it says in verse 25 that he chose rather to suffer with the affliction of his people than to enjoy the passing of sins. Lesson here is for us parents to not overlook sin in our children. We have an example for that. We have a stern example of bad parenting who even though they saw and they heard about their children committing great sins, yet they did not do much about it. Who is this? We have Eli, the high priest. Read it, 1 Samuel chapter 2. It says he heard what his children was doing. First they started stealing from, from God, from the people's sacrifices and offering. Eventually it led them to commit fornication and sinful acts right at the door of the tabernacle. And he dealt with them lightly. There was no discipline. It seems that his Moses' parents left a great impression on him by the, th the three months they had him, perhaps more, we do not know. And we see Moses renouncing the pleasures of sin. You know, this flesh, this fallen nature, love, enjoys, love to enjoy sin. And the world makes it readily available for us 
to be snared. This is why it says in verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, so easily ensnares us. This is the sin which ensnares us. But Moses, by faith, chose to live pleasing God, not taken by the pleasures of sin. Number three, Moses also renounced surmountable prosperity. Read verse 27, excuse me, 26. It says, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. So here we have uh, another uh, lesson to learn from this man of faith. He esteemed the reproach of Christ great riches than all the riches that he was entitled to. Someone said that it took Moses 40, 40 years thinking that he is something. Then it took another 40 years realizing that he is nothing. Then it took another 40 years learning from God that God can use a nobody. That's Moses. Moses had it all. But he had a great example for, in front of him. He had his parents, somehow, they left in a great and deep impression on him. So when he, be, when he came to the proper time, he lived by faith. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We have another man of God. And that's Paul who had all the privileges. And yet we find in verse 7 the following. Paul saying, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. We have another example of a man who had all the privileges. He had the position, he had the recognition, he was well educated, and yet he found the treasure. As our brother mentioned, Brandon, but the, the great treasure, he found Christ. And because of Christ, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater than all the wisdom, than all the riches, than all the position that he has, he had. So what is holding you back? What is holding you from living by faith for God? Is it money? Is it work? Is it position? Is it title? Is it recognition? Is it pleasing the world? Is it being fearful what the world will say about you? Moses went through all of that. And Moses, by faith, we can learn a lot from him. He renounced sinful pleasures. He renounced surmountable prosperity. And he renounced social status. Let me share with you one more verse. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, We have this treasure 
in this earthly vessel, in earthly vessels, that's our bodies, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not for, of us. We have another treasure that was entrusted to you and to me. And that treasure is the light of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the treasure that we need to seek. This is the treasure that we need to cherish. Share the gospel. Live the gospel. Tell people about so great salvation. And leave the rest for God. It says the excellence of the power may be of God, not of us. God is the one who saves. Great heroes of faith. The parents of Moses. Who left a great lesson for us. For you as parents. Most for us. For those who are older. Grandparents. Are we leaving a legacy? Not only to our children and grandchildren. But to our friends. To our community. A legacy that this man truly lived by faith. This woman truly lived by faith. We have so great a cloud of witnesses. Whom went ahead of us. And whom trusted God. And whom came to God believed that he is. And whom they seeked him diligently. Because he was. God is the rewarder of those who seek him diligently. Amen. I trust that this, this lifestyle of Moses and his parents be encouragement to us and be encouragement to live by faith. Let us pray. <clears throat> and dear Father, we thank you for the lessons we have in Hebrews chapter 11 for those saints who went before us who, whose lifestyle of faith were the standard. We pray, Father God, that we help our unbelief help us to increase our faith in you and to trust you lord in living for you and renouncing this world's culture and renouncing lord the fame and and lord all the pleasures of this world and be lord pleasing unto your eyes father we ask you all this we pray in jesus name amen thank you